Hi, this is Wendy, and you're listening to the Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and we are so excited to be with you on this Easter Sunday, April 17th. Thanks for taking time to join us. You know, this being Easter Sunday, our church leadership met and decided, you know, we really want to get a special speaker. Why don't we call the best preacher in the world and ask him to speak? And they did. And he said, no. So they said, well, if we can't get the best speaker, at least we can get the smartest one. So they called him and he said, no. And then they said, well, if we can't get the best or smartest, at least we can get the best looking. And they called and he said, no. And finally, one of them said, well, we can always ask our preacher. And so they did. And what can I say? I'd already told them no three times. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, you're stuck with me today. But I've got to tell you, we've got a great topic, a great passage of scripture, and a great hope in our resurrected Lord. Well, we gather here today to celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ to give praise to a God who moved the stone that day and to a God who still moves the stones, the trials of our lives today. And I was thinking and praying of what to share with you today and a question came up during my time of study and that was, what does Easter stand for? Now you've all no doubt seen an acrostic. An acrostic is a poem, word puzzle, or other composition in which certain letters in each line form a word or words. Well, today we're going to spend the next few minutes answering the question, what does Easter stand for in the form of an acrostic? And folks, there are a multitude of possibilities for this, but let me share with you what I've come up with for you. First, let's look at the letter E in the word Easter, and that stands for the empty tomb that provides hope in a hopeless world. A father and his teenage son were living in Mexico City, they had had an argument, and the son, whose name was Paco, shouted curses at his father and then stormed out of the house and didn't return. Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months. The father searched the city over, and finally, in desperation, he went down to the newspaper and took out an ad. It said, Paco, if you read this, I want you to know that all is forgiven. I love you, and I'll be waiting for you this Sunday at the entrance to the city park. I hope you'll show up. Love. Dad. He said that Sunday morning, 200 Pacos showed up at the park, all looking for forgiveness. There are so many people searching in this world, searching for forgiveness, for hope, for meaning. And the good news of Easter is that the empty tomb provides that hope to a hopeless world. Matthew 12, verses 20 and 21 say, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Or as the New Living Translation reads, he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. Go back to those words, a bruised reed, a smoldering wick. That describes many people today. Many of you who may be listening or watching Perhaps you've been bruised by the trials of life. 
Perhaps you were bruised by harsh words or by a friend's anger or by a spouse's betrayal or by your own failure or the failures of those around you. Perhaps you feel like a smoldering wick. At one time, your passion for God and for ministry and for life was flaming high, but the winds of life have blown and now you feel one step away from the flame going out altogether. There are many bruised reeds and smoldering wicks in the Bible. A woman standing before an angry crowd wanting to punish her for her sins. A leper, an outcast, shunned by society. A blind man on the side of the road. A paralytic lying on a stretcher. A woman with a long-term illness. Bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. And the world is so good at breaking those reeds in two and snuffing out those smoldering wicks. But what did Jesus say? He said in Matthew 12, 20 and 21, what we just read, a bruised reed I will not break, he said, and a smoldering wick I will not snuff out. And then he said, in my name, you will put your hope. Isn't that a great encouragement? And the great message of Easter is that if Jesus Christ was powerful enough to move the stone and overcome the grave, then he is powerful enough to move the stones that are blocking your life right now. The resurrection gives us hope in the face of the unfairness of the world. It gives us strength and courage in every situation that we face. And we need that. You need that. I need that. I came across a story some time back about the Civil War. It seems a Union soldier was shot in the arm during the Battle of Shiloh. His captain saw that he was wounded and barked out an order, Give me your gun, Private, and get to the rear. The Private handed over his rifle and ran toward the rear, seeking safety. But after only going about two or three hundred yards, he came upon another battle. So he ran to the left and found himself in another part of the battle. Then he ran back to the right and encountered more fighting there. Finally, he ran back to the front line, shouting, Give me back my rifle, Captain. There ain't no rear in this battle nowhere. Well, when it comes to the troubles of the world and daily life, there ain't no rear to this battle nowhere. And that's why the Easter story is such good news. The resurrection, which validates every promise Jesus made, is the good news that gives hope and light and encouragement when everything else looks bleak. Next, let's look at the second letter of the word Easter, the letter A, and that stands for the angel who invited them to look. Matthew, the gospel writer, records that when the women came to the tomb, the first thing the angel did was to invite them inside. He said in Matthew 28, 6, come and see the place where he lay. They looked at the evidence and God still invites us to do that right now. And you can look for yourself. The evidence is there if you investigate an empty tomb undisturbed grave cloths, a 2,000-pound stone that's rolled away, and over 515 eyewitnesses. Do you know how long it would take if we had each person who witnessed the resurrected Lord come and speak for 15 minutes to us? We would be here all day and all night, and all day Monday and Monday night, and all day Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and sometime early Friday morning, they would wrap up their testimony. It would take over 128 straight hours just to hear, for 15 minutes apiece, the testimony of those who saw the Lord after he rose. 
and the evidence shows that he rose from the grave and the tomb was empty. The soldiers had no story and millions down through the years will attest to this reality. In 2 Timothy 1.12, the Apostle Paul wrote, For I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Now, note that Paul did not say, I know what I trust. Paul said, I know the one in whom I trust. I'm here today, and I can tell you the same thing. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is risen from the dead, alive in the world, and making a difference in my life. And millions of people down through the centuries have themselves met Jesus firsthand and followed him and let him transform their lives. Atheists who set about to prove that Jesus' resurrection did not happen end up being overwhelmed by the evidence and person of Jesus Christ. People like English journalist Frank Morrison, Lou Wallace, the author of Ben-Hur, attorneys like Albert Roper and Josh McDowell, scholars like England's Lord Littleton and Gilbert West, athletes like Deion Sanders and Emmett Smith, personalities like Jane Fonda and Mel Gibson. People who at first discounted the resurrection each ended up meeting Jesus Christ himself and deciding to follow him as Savior and Lord. Come and see, investigate what the angel said, and you will believe. The next letter of the word Easter is the S, which stands for the surprise at an empty tomb. I remember when I was a little boy attending church back in New Jersey. I had a friend there named Pete. His dad would send him upstairs to our Sunday school class with his offering money. When his dad picked him up after class, he still had his two quarters clenched tightly in his hand. His dad would say, Pete, why don't you give your offering to Jesus in the class? And Pete would look at his dad with all seriousness and say, Dad, Jesus hardly ever shows up up there. Well, not many people expected him to show up on that Sunday morning either. And what a surprise, what a shock that his new birth caused. Everyone involved was surprised at how it turned out. The soldiers didn't have an answer. The Pharisees were caught trying to come up with a backup plan. The religious leaders who thought they buried the one who challenged their way of life were shocked when Sunday morning came around and the stone rolled away and Jesus Christ rose victorious over sin and death. And that is the greatest surprise this world has ever known. The next letter in the word Easter is T, which simply means to tell. It's the command they were given. After the angel invited the surprised women into the tomb, they were told to go and tell the good news to others. The command was given, and yet this is the one that so many people choose to ignore. Those of us that have searched and satisfied it in our own lives received him as Savior and Lord, and now our command is to go and tell others. And yet we sit quietly as opportunity after opportunity passes us by. Do you know how most people come to know Jesus Christ? Do you know what the most effective mode of evangelism is? It's the same as it's been for a long time. It's this. The most effective mode of evangelism is one person inviting another person to come to church with them. Now, you probably thought I was going to say that the most effective mode of evangelism is one person telling another person about Jesus Christ. And let me say that that's the ideal way for sure. And that should be and could be the best way. But reality is that 90 to 95 percent of all commitments to Christ come after a person has accepted an invitation to attend church. 
a person invites another person to come to church where they will hear the gospel and in time invite Jesus into their heart. Like the woman at the well that went back to her town and said in John 4:28, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now the responsibility for sharing Christ still falls to each one of us, but people are much more open to receive it once they've come to church and opened their lives to the influence of godly people. The heart is prepared and then someone shares the gospel with them and they come to know the Lord. But it starts with someone inviting a friend to church. We're in the mission together. We all play that part. What did the Apostle Paul say in 1 Corinthians 3, 6? He said, I planted, Apollos watered, God made it grow. We do it together. People come to know Jesus because grandparents sow, Christians pray, friends invite, people talk, greeters greet, preachers preach, and we all do it together. And while we're doing that, God is working in the midst of it all. The Holy Spirit is convicting them. Circumstances are softening their hearts. And in time, they respond and receive salvation and the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven. So go and tell. That's what the T is in Easter. The next letter in the word Easter is the E, which stands for the excitement that the women felt that morning. In an old Good Friday Family Circus cartoon, little Billy and his brother were walking along through a store looking at all the Easter eggs and candy on the shelves. And Billy says, this may be Good Friday, but Sunday's going to be even gooder. Well, that may not be correct English, but it sure is profound. Early that first Easter morning, the disciples and the women who were the first to find the empty tomb didn't realize just how much gooder Sunday was going to be. And it sure was, wasn't it? We don't always see right away how things are going to turn out. That's how it was for the disciples on Friday and Saturday. But what a difference a day makes. Remember that song? There are many of you that are living in day one, Friday. It's the day of the trial, and you're getting hit on all sides. It's here. It's now. Life is pouring in on you, and if you are there, if you're in the midst of day one, my encouragement to you is maintain hope, because what a difference a day makes. There are probably even more of you living in day two, like the disciples on Saturday. The heat of the trial may be over, but now is the time of confusion, frustration, and discouragement. Jesus is dead. He's in the tomb. Perhaps your faith is weak. The future seems cloudy. The outcome uncertain. And if that's where you are, my encouragement to you is to maintain faith because what a difference a day makes. And all of us are facing day three. A day of victory, a day of good news, a day of renewed hope. And if you aren't there now, be assured that it's coming because Jesus Christ has won the victory. What a difference a day makes. Maintain your hope, maintain your faith, and be encouraged and excited about day three. There's an old spiritual song that says, Sit down, brother, I can't sit down. Sit down, brother. I can't sit down, sit down, brother, I can't sit down. I just got to heaven and I can't sit down. Man, that's exciting. And that's what day three has in store for us. Maybe we see the victory in this life and that's well and good. But all of us as believers in Jesus Christ have a day three coming, 
a day when we will go to be with him, a day of victory, and we ought to be excited about that. Amen? Amen. And then last is the letter R, which stands for the resurrected Lord who is living today. Muhammad is still in the grave. Buddha is still in the grave. Confucius and Joseph Smith are all still in the grave. Only in Christianity do we find a resurrected Lord. Only faith in Christ is valid because only Jesus rose from the dead. No other religious leaders defeated death, so none other can make these claims. A Sunday school teacher had just finished telling her third graders about how Jesus was crucified and placed in a tomb with a great stone that sealed the opening. Then, wanting to share the excitement of the resurrection, she asked, And what do you think were Jesus' first words when he came bursting out of the tomb alive? A hand shot up in the air at the rear of the classroom. Attached to it was the arm of a little girl. Leaping out of her chair, she shouted excitedly, I know, I know. Good, said the teacher. Tell us, what were Jesus' first words? And extending her arms high and to each side in the air, she said, Ta-da! The resurrected Lord is the central event of our faith. It's the ta-da of Christianity. And because of Easter, we know that God in Christ Jesus is more powerful than anything in life, even death. The resurrection is not just another thing we believe as Christians. It is at the very center of our faith. Everything hinges on the resurrection, and you realize that when life smacks you in the face. I recently read an account of a man whose young daughter died. It was devastating for the family. But in her death, Easter took on new importance. The father said this, Until you stare death eye to eye, Easter is just a word, a nice day with bunny rabbits and eggs. But when someone so precious to you dies, Easter becomes everything, an anchor in the fierce storm, a rock on which to stand, a hope that raises you above despair and keeps you going. Everything hinges on the resurrection, folks. In our deepest, darkest moments, when we don't think it can ever get better, the resurrection gives us hope that it can. When we are in the midst of day one or two, the resurrection gives us hope that there is a day three coming and victory is on the way. Let me close this sermon with a story about K. Arthur. K. Arthur is a writer, a lecturer, and many thousands of people around the world have been impacted by her Bible studies. She is a committed Christian woman, but it wasn't always that way for her. Many years ago, when she was in her 20s, she was as far away from God as a person could possibly be. She was living with her husband, who was manic-depressive, and she just got tired of living with him. She had an affair with a married man, and then when her husband found out, he became so depressed that he threatened suicide. And when he threatened suicide, she was so crass, so uncaring, she told him, go ahead and kill yourself. I could use the insurance money anyway. And he did. He actually hung himself. Kay Arthur said that as she drove away from the cemetery that day, she felt like such a failure as a wife, as a mother, as a person. And she felt such anger and frustration and pain. And she said as she drove away, she shook her fist at the sky and she screamed, to hell with you, God. But she said, what I didn't know until later was that that was exactly what he did for me. He gave his life. He went to the very gates of hell and he did it for me. 
you know what? He did it for me too. He did it for you and you and each one of you who are listening or are watching today. The title of the book that relates to her story is called, Lord, I Need Grace. Maybe you're with us today and you're feeling the same way. You need grace, forgiveness, and hope. Beloved, I guarantee you, you will find it in the resurrected Lord, whose name is Jesus. God bless you, and a very happy and blessed Easter. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.